الله الرحمن الرحيم الله صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وعن سورة الزخرف سورة نمبر 43 آية 15 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وجعلوا له من عباده جزءا إن الإنسان لكفور مبين. So this referring to the Quraysh and the Mushrikun of the Arab in general that they appropriated from Allah's servants a portion uh, for of Allah, meaning they have partialized Allah, His essence. His being, and they have said that this part of Allah is now something else. So they have appropriated a portion of Allah to something else, meaning the um, the goddesses okay, and the idols. <clears throat> Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful. And very openly ungrateful. So Allah Subhanahu is saying that this Quran has been revealed in a plain Arabic language, so that you may understand clearly. And the book is a very clear book. And then once you understand the clarity of who Allah is, then you will understand that man is clearly ungrateful. <clears throat> Mubin is the same description, attribute that Allah gives to the Qur'an and to the dhikr and so on. So man is very clearly ungrateful that he does not understand Allah's oneness, Allah's tawheed, and that makes him someone who doesn't know. And since he doesn't know, he will then do things based on his ignorance, and that ignorance will lead to dhulm in understanding <clears throat> wrongdoings in assumptions, which will lead to being ungrateful. And instead of asking Allah directly, they will choose to ask the idols instead of Allah. So this is a measure of ungratefulness. And there can be no more explicit measure of ungratefulness than shirk. So shirk or associating partners with Allah is an extreme expression of being ungrateful. Otherwise known in the Qur'an as dhulm, injustice. In the shirk al-dhulm al-azim, shirk is indeed a tremendous injustice. That injustice coupled with the ungratefulness and the you know, the inability to appreciate Allah's oneness makes man somewhat of a loser and a failure. <clears throat> so this is how Allah is explaining in the clear Arabic language the clarity in human beings who don't see Allah as one. <laughs> now that confusion in the minds of those who are clearly ungrateful is such that they create their own inconsistencies. Uh, 
Okay. So what some of the mushrikun did was that they assumed that the angels are Allah's daughters. Hmm. Right. So Allah is saying, okay, if you believe that Allah the Divine is now honored to have daughters, angels as his agents, and agents of Allah are honored and respected, they are kareem, they are noble, and you know that too, and you don't assume that the angels are inferior, and you don't assume that the angels are something that you have to discard in your thinking. At the same time, on the other side, you don't want to be seen as anyone who has daughters. Okay? You shun the idea of having a daughter, but you honor the idea that God has a daughter, or many daughters. So this is the incoherence and inconsistency that arises from the confusion that shirk creates. So shirk and not understanding Allah properly creates confusion in thinking. And that confusion results in this total misappropriation of preferencing male children over female children, which in itself is a dhulm, is an injustice, and that leads to various forms of social injustices, as we know they were unfortunately involved with, and even today in areas of the world where people favor male offspring over female offspring, you see the social inequities and the gross atrocities that are dealt to the daughters of people. So people would rather have boys than girls. So Allah is saying this came from the idea that you are unclear and you are confused. So your shirk confuses you. And on one side, on the other side, you honor God by saying that God has angels and angels are the daughters of Allah. So this all is a totally chaotic, confused approach to reality and so on. That is it that they appropriate and they have taken whatever he has created as daughters and then you choose sons for yourselves. So you give Allah daughters and you prefer sons than daughters for yourselves. وَإِذَا بُشِّرَ أَحَدُهُمْ بِمَا ضَرَبَ لِرُحْمَانِ مَثَلًا ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ And if God forbid any one of them are giving glad tidings with that which they have coined an example for the Rahman, Meaning, if they were told that they were going to be given a daughter, uh, the same idea that they are saying, Allah has daughters, uh, then his face would become darkened and black uh, out of now embarrassment and shame. And he, is, now he will be in a total state of anger and so on. So human beings become angry with the idea that they will have daughters, but these human beings, they're happy with the idea that God has daughters. As as I said, the total incoherence, inconsistencies that unfortunately come from theological injustices. This is how we must see also today uh, 
appropriate this and have a qiyas analogy with anyone who does not understand Allah correctly will always be confused. Either if you don't believe he exists, then you're totally confused if you're an atheist. And if you believe in Allah the wrong way, yeah, you're still confused. Uh, that's what's meant by waladdalin, those who are gone astray. You see the people who uphold Trinity and others who don't believe in Allah properly and correctly, their, their ideals are confused. Okay? There's no consistency, coherency at any level of their thinking uh, whatsoever. And that shows in their communities, their societies. It shows in their politics. It shows in the way they live. And it shows in their civilizational values and so on. So Allah then gives us another idea, which is quite remarkable, that Allah is bringing this idea of zukhruf. Okay? Zukhruf, the, you know, the glitter of the dunya, okay? into the picture here. Yeah, so the glitter of the dunya is that people want boys. Boys are seen as something of an esteem, uh, something as a symbol of you know, power and authority and manhood. And girls are seen as someone, as something as weak. And so this is Zukhruf, which is the name of the surah, that you have these glittering ideas. Everything that glitters is gold, as they say. Or well, not everything that glitters is gold, which is now the saying that we have. So here Allah is bringing about to our attention something which is very unique. Is it that he has been raised in ornaments and jewelry? At the same time, he is now, uh, what do you call it, very unclear in his debate. That the idea of wearing ornaments and jewelry means that these metals have an effect on you, on your mind, and they are now only for uh, the feminine, uh, as you call it, uh, human beings, the females in Islam, then females are allowed to have gold, and etc. But males aren't allowed. And one of the reasons is this, that if men start to now preen in front of the mirror and start to decorate themselves, adorn with themselves with these now metals, they will create an inability to understand and to debate clearly. This is why I said, that in debate is unclear, yeah? meaning your mindset and your attitude towards life should be one that represents manhood and virility and steadfastness and determination and all the other values that we have, bravery and chivalry. Why do you want to dress up with silk and gold? That's something that you should not be proud of. So on one side, you don't want daughters because that's an embarrassment and that's shameful. On the other side, you want to wear gold, silver and silk. You want to adorn all the feminine niceties and you despise feminine beings. So this is how unclear you are in your debate. This is what this ayah is saying. That you become unclear, incoherent inconsistent in your debate and in your argumentation if the only purpose of your life is to preen and to adorn yourself and to be conceited and to be 
impressed by yourself and no one else, and so on. This is not how a person who has now sound intelligence wants. He doesn't want this type of lifestyle where he's only bowing down to the low things of life.、Um, so anyway. This is how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala explained this: that this this zukhruf that you have, these ornaments of decoration that you have, and the, 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 these glittering things that you possess in the world, then obviously you may possess gold and use it for trade, but you cannot become it. When you wear something, you become it, right? So now a woman has to wear women's clothing because she becomes a woman, and a man has to wear male clothing because he becomes a male. By virtue of the clothing, something that's close to you, next to your body, all the time becomes part of you. You are identified with what it is you wear. So the hilia, okay, the ornaments that you wear, then you become those ornaments also. They have an effect on you, on your body, on your psyche, on your mind, on your heart, and so on. So there's no doubt that there's benefit in it for men, meaning they can own that and possess and then trade. And then develop whatever they want to do, but they cannot become it. Okay, you cannot become something like、uh, you know that you are now no longer brave and courageous, and you're no longer coherent in your thinking, understanding. You can't even argue a simple point in life、uh, because you are too busy, preoccupied with yourself and all the other goods in life, and so on.、Uh, so that's why Islam doesn't want men、uh, to do. What women do.、Okay. So a, the idea, idea is that human beings must develop their intelligence also and their ability to think clearly and then to express themselves clearly also. So it's not just thinking, but also expressing themselves. So expression, bayan, is what the Quran is all about. Hada bayanul linas. This is an expression for people that Allah gave human beings the ability and the power to express. Themselves clearly, Rahman, Allah al Quran, Khalq al Insan, Allah al Bayan, and so on. Allah taught man Bayan. So it's not just thinking and understanding; it's also expressing. So what you express now comes from within you, and that has to be order, orderly. It has to be consistent, coherent, organized, and everything's lined up in the proper way. That makes you a wonderful person who is now intelligent. وَجَعَلُوا الْمَلَائِكَةَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عِبَادُ الرَّحْمَنِ إِثْنَاثَ أَشْهِدُوا خَلْقَهُمْ سَتُكْتَبُ شَهَادَتُهُمْ وَيُسْأَلُونَ that they have made the angels those whom are who are the servants of the Rahman they have made them female so this is a total misappropriation and the level of、uh, what you call absurdness That the mushrik thinks of—that's how he thinks. Yeah. So we see that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that the angels are servants of the Rahman. They are neither male nor female. They are servants of the Rahman. What they do is that they obey Allah and they carry out His orders, His instructions. They manage the instructions and they take care of it and they execute it the way they see through their intellect and so on. Ashahidu khalqahum. Did they actually witness the creation of the angels so that they can determine whether Allah made them male or female?、Ah, this is something that、uh, we should also 
understand and appreciate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made species that are neither gender, neither male nor female, but they do exist, but they don't have volition. So any species that has volition will either be male or female. Species that do not have volition will not have this binary identity, male or female. So the ins and the jinn, okay, the human being and the jinn, uh, they are male or female, but other species are not. Satuktabu shahadatuhum that their testimony will be now recorded and they will be questioned as to why they made this determination. So here Allah subhanahu wa is saying that we must understand that even understanding the nature of angels is necessary for the Muslim. That we must not discard those ideas and ideals that contradict reality and contradict nature. Okay, so it is not in the nature of angels to be male or female. Anyone who assumes that, now, what, 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 what difference does it make? If you believe in angels, what difference does it make, male or female? So Allah is saying it does make a difference. It's a difference in knowing the truth and not knowing the truth. So when you're representing a celestial being who is now integral to the cosmos and integral to the execution of Allah's Amr, you'd better get that right, that your concept and your aqidah is correct. So Allah is saying that this correct aqidah is necessary if you're going to understand how Allah works and how Allah creates and how Allah brings things into existence. So you cannot have a misunderstanding of the creation of Allah and assume you're a good Muslim. That doesn't happen. In order to be a good Muslim, you must have the correct understanding of his creation once you have understood that they exist. Okay? So people might say that, who cares whether angels exist or not, then obviously you're not a Muslim. But even Muslims must be careful that they do not go the way of the mushrik. And so this was an issue of the jahiliyyah, that this is based on ignorance and based on confusion. So Muslims must uh, adopt the correct understanding of Allah's creation. So it's necessary to say, this is male and this is female. And this is neither male nor female. So that is very necessary for the Muslim mind, that this is Kitabul Mubin. This is an open book, a very clear book, this revelation. It comes down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you see in the Arabic language, there's a separation between the word male and female, dhakr and untha. Distinct separation between the two, so you must see them as distinct realities and not confuse uh, the idea. Yeah. Anyway, وَقَالُوا لَوْ شَاءُ الرَّحْمَنُ مَا عَبَدْنَاهُمْ مَا لَهُمْ بِذَلِكَ مِنْ عِلْمٍ إِنْهُمْ إِلَّا يَخْرُصُونَ And they will say, or they do say perhaps in their inner conscience, and they will say on the Day of Judgment, if Allah the Rahman had willed, we would not have worshipped these idols. Okay. Meaning that they're now going to blame God for their misappropriation, which is obviously the height of being ungrateful. Yeah, the ingratitude of someone who blames God for their mishaps and for their confusion, obviously, is not just blasphemous, it is atrocious. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now bringing out their inner feelings and inner conscience 
and also on the day of judgment and that and they will assume and believe that Allah is the one who misguided them. Okay. Which works into our discussion of Tawheed. Allah is the one who misguides and Allah is the one who guides. But then he misguides through means. You did not adopt the means of guidance and you adopted the means of misguidance. Therefore you are misguided. They have no knowledge of this. Uh, they must now uh, resort to their own ignorance, not to the knowledge of Allah. In whom illa they are just speculating and so on. Yeah. All they do is they speculate. They look at the palm tree and they say that this palm tree will yield certain amount of dates. It is speculation known as khars. This is speculation, right? So you speculate this this amount of this amount of dates will now come from this tree. This is what Allah is saying. This is how they do that. They don't understand the reality. They don't understand the cohesiveness, consistency of Allah's creation and Allah's nizam and system. And they simply guess. They simply estimate and they speculate and so on. So here Allah is saying that speculation about the realities of things is not the way for Muslims. So Muslim intellectuals, uh, they debated heavily about the nature of things because this was now part of their iman. Yes, obviously your iman is whatever. The iman mufassal, as mentioned, hadith of Jibreel. Well, after that, if you have a high level of understanding of ilm and knowledge and uh, intellect, then you must find out the realities of things. And that's why the Muslims discuss the realities of things, because that was part of the construct of iman, belief in Allah. Knowing the makhluk means you know Allah. Mm. When you know that the makhluk, the creation of Allah, is incapable of creating, then you know that Allah, the Khaliq, is capable of creating. But then you must ascertain this limited ability in the khalq, in the makhluk, and understand the properties and the values and the attributes of every uh, every creation so that you have a better understanding of your creator, that you don't assume time is creative, time is created. So now Muslims debated the issue of time, and they debated the issues of everything, in nature, art and everything else, ma'warat, tabi'iyat, they also discuss the metaphysics of life and the cosmos and everything else. So that they did not leave their understanding to guessing and estimating. So in whom illa yukhrusun, that they, all they do is they speculate and they guess and estimate means that Muslims should not guess or estimate and speculate. They should develop ilm and find the correct understanding of everything at the micro level also. Obviously, this is not for every person. It is for the people who understand this and who want to take on uh, maybe a lifestyle that they're trying to understand the nature of things and properties and discuss all of this. Meaning that uh, the, uh, the uh, discussions of the theologians, the mutakallimun, were not in vain as certain groups might say, like the Salafis might say, that uh, you guys, you discuss all of these issues, and that was all in vain, because that is not in wahi. So you say, what, what are you talking about? It's not in wahi. Allah is condemning people who guess about Allah's creation. In whom illa yukhrusun. So that means we should not guess. Uh, we should now make sure we know definitively 
what this creation is and understand the role of the creation, understand the limitations of that creation, understand the benefits of that creation and the detriments of that creation so that we become accustomed to knowing and don't stoop to the level of speculation. Uh, so if, you, if you're into speculation, then you will not appreciate what the theologians did. It was not in vain. It was because they wanted to know definitively what is and what is not, and so on. Or is it that we have given them a revelation beforehand and it is that that they are holding fast to? That is their knowledge of angels based on revelation? Is it based on their witnessing the creation of angels? Or is it just now estimating, guessing and speculation? Meaning that this is not the case. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is outlining the epistemology here. Okay. People say, where does epistemology come from? It comes from here, these ayat. Okay. That what is your method of knowing? One method of knowing is that you witness, so you have the five senses, you're witnessing. Did you witness the creation of the angels? No. So then how do you know? Another way to know would be that you have revelation because angels are from the unseen. And the mind is not capable of comprehending the unseen. So how do you know? The only way you would know is if you had a revelation. So Allah is saying now, these are the three ways of knowing. Your five senses, your aql, or revelation. Right? There's epistemology. All in this story. Yeah. So he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you read the ayah, this kitab mubim is an open, clear book. It tells you not just to know, but it shows you how to know how to learn, how to understand, how to develop ilm and uh, yaqeen and so on, how not to speculate and assume and estimate and guess and so on. So this is now the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in this surah. بَلْ قَالُوا إِنَّا وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا عَلَىٰ أُمَّةٍ وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ مُهْتَدُونَ But there's another way to learn and know, and that is through tradition. That is through now what knowledge that has been passed down by human beings one after another, which is also an issue and a value that we appreciate. The idea of tawatur, that you have now knowledge that is reported from one generation to another in so many people that it's difficult to assume they have conspired to a lie. So that is fine as, as long as the initial group uh, are eyewitnesses to the effect, to the event, and to the issue. Right? So now uh, these people, the Mushrikun, are saying that we have found our forefathers to be on this system of thinking, this Ummah. Ummah here means deen or religion or millah, whatever you want to Meaning this community, this community of ideas. Uh, that we found our forefathers believing this, and they cannot be wrong because we are following them. We are following their traces, uh, meaning that there's another way to learn, that you have human experience now passed down from one generation to another. But in our understanding of Tawatu, it is the first generation that is the most important. So if the first group of people were not eyewitnesses or they did not receive revelation, then you cannot follow that 
succession of knowledge. That is not tawatur, because there is a disruption in the chain. The first chain is not established. So when Christians say that, uh, you know, 200, 300 years after Isa they came up with this idea of Trinity, and then that idea of Trinity has been passed down through tawatur, uh, successive generations. So you say the first point is wrong. It came 200 years, 300 years after Isa alayhi salam. The people who witnessed Isa alayhi salam did not say this. Right? So this is another method of understanding knowledge, how to learn, how to know, how to have yaqeen, and so on. Meaning that they are not guided if there is no immediate witnessing of the event or there is no revelation. So now false traditions are not a proof or evidence for being correct. False traditions. False tradition is when the first generation don't have anything to do with the successive generation. So there has to be a connection. And that is what we say against the Shias, uh, that your religion is not connected to the original source. The original source are the Sahaba, the Muhajirun and the Ansar. They are the original source of knowledge about Islam, and you have disconnected yourselves from that original source. So anything you say is not genuine, is not something that we can follow. So you must connect it to the origin, and you must not leave it disconnected, and so on. So this is how we see these ayat being explained very clearly here in this surah. وَكَذَلِكَ مَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَوْلِكَ فِي خَرْيَةٍ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ إِلَّا قَالُوا مُتْرَفُوهَا إِنَّا وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا عَلَىٰ أُمَّةٍ وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ مُخْتَدُونَ And likewise, O Muhammad وسلم, we have not sent anyone before you in any city, قَرْيَة, here means city, any warner, any rasul, nadir here means rasul, Nadir, a warner in the form of a rasul, or the rasul in the form of a warner, except that the people who were affluent, mm, yeah, and who were rich in that community society said that indeed these practices that we have adapted and these traditions and norms we are now practicing, uh, we have found our fathers to be on that religion, on that community of ideas. And indeed, we are doing nothing except guiding and following their traces. Following. In the first ayah, there was muhtadun, that they are guided. So the, the argument there was that we are guided by the traditions of our forefathers. In this one, we are saying we are following the traditions of our forefathers, irrespective of whether they're guided or not. So this is where the nafs comes in. And that's where the idea of mutrafuha, that the rich people in any community really don't care whether they're guided or not. It's just about tradition. That we can follow anyone that we feel is good. Okay, so our following is not based on guidance. Our following is based on pure nafs. At least in the first group, you have an idea of some uh, religiosity there. In this group, you have no idea of religiosity. It's all mundane. It's all secular. So here we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opening up with clarity the ayat of the Qur'an. 
قال او لو جئتكم باهدى مما وجدتم عليه اباءكم اباءكم قالوا انا بما ارسلتم به كافرون and then the messengers would say to the people that if i was to bring to you something which has more guidance and is more correct and more accurate than whatever it is you found your fathers upon they would say in response that we disbelieve everything you have been sent with meaning it's all nafs it's all ego we don't really care whether you're guided or not we just care that we want to enjoy ourselves that we are rich we are affluent and we can do with our lives and our money whatever it is we want to we really don't care whether we're right or wrong so now that is the height of ignorance okay so lowest level of ignorance where you simply don't care whether you're right or not and you just do whatever pleases you which is probably the state of most people today in the world especially here in this country where you do what you feel is good that there's no truth and there's no real moral absolute is just whatever i feel at the moment there should be something that i should be allowed to do so the more they legislate and legalize all of these issues the more human beings and society are being corroded and corrupted and going into total chaos and disintegration uh, meaning that you, you need to uh, restrain yourself you can't eat and drink whatever it is you want to because you'll end up dead if you do that and you can't smoke and drink whatever you want to because you still end up dead so anyway so here we see that the the idea mutrafuha the affluent people who control the norms and customs in society so they will then dictate upon the people who don't have money this is what you do this is what you do this is what you do so the initial thrust of the you know homosexual issues in this country was led by the affluent people who were into it because they wanted to do it so they said instead of being stigmatized by the community and society we'll just legalize it so that everybody can say that we're doing everything which is what we want to do and we don't care whether it's legal or not we'll just legalize something which is not illegal which is not legal it's easier because we have the money we have the power okay we have the interest groups and we have all these lobbies who can say and do whatever they want to so now that's how you get the idea of the quran saying mutrafuha this word is amazing Allah is saying those who are into luxury and those who are into opulence and those who just want a lifestyle of living this way heedlessly in a very hedonistic way they are the ones who they distort and corrupt society and they are the ones who are now the reason for the misguidance of most people and that is absolutely true here so now today nobody wants religion to be a police over them they don't want anything to police them whatsoever so they will also say we disbelieve in whatever you've been saying islam no islam unfortunately the muslim psyche is the same we don't care whether it's halal haram we'll just make everything haram islamic so we'll put on the islamic label everything that's haram and then that's islamic there's now the plight of the ummah is mentioned in these ayat because they have money affluence those who are poor they won't have time to think about this because they're too busy worried about worrying about the next meal and how they're going to pay the next bill 
But people who are super rich, filthy rich, and opulent, and have a lifestyle of hedonism, they say, oh, it doesn't matter. Religion has no say. And Islam is so tolerant and open that we can Islamify anything that's haram and say this is now also Islamic. Hence the liberal ideas that has crept into the Muslim psyche in this country that their agenda is to just halalify everything that Islam says is haram. So this is all based on the ayah, the word mutarafuha. Huh? This applies to Muslim communities as definitely applies primarily to the non-Muslim community, but this is seeping into the Muslim mindset and the Muslim psyche today as we speak. And it's very clear and evident from what I'm saying that this is what's happening. فَانْتَقَمْنَا مِنْهُمْ فَانْظُرُ كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاقِبَةُ الْمُكَذِّبِينَ So Allah says, okay... Uh, we punish them and we took revenge from them. Uh, Allah is Muntaqim. One of his names is the one who now takes revenge. Revenge for their zulm against him. For their injustice against Allah. They say Allah is eternal. Why would anyone be unjust? Why does it matter? Uh, why would anyone or anything affect Allah and his, what do you call it, eminence and his uh, honor and his pride, etc. So no, it's not about that. It's about following the system of this world. So in this world, okay, you have to make sure that your understanding is correct. And since you are someone who has a responsibility, divine obligation, also a legal responsibility to say and think clearly, if you do not do that and you cause confusion and, and you corrupt society, then you are guilty. And because of that crime, Allah will then take revenge on behalf of others who are good, that they will now see that Allah is on their side and Allah is helping them by punishing these people who are not following the laws and the orders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then Allah says, فَانْظُرْ Observe and look, O Muhammad sallallahu Think about How is the consequence? What is the consequence and the result of those who deny? What is their fate? Their fate is this. Okay. The fate in this world is that they're totally confused and they roam around as you know, a chicken without heads and that's how they are. Number one. So that in itself is a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The utter confusion that a disbelief creates in the mind is a form of punishment, no doubt. And secondly, eventually they will meet their fate. And when they meet their fate, God forbid, they will be punished. And that will be the utter loss that they will unfortunately suffer. That's all based on their denial of Allah, denial of the Rasul, and denial of the truth about themselves and about other things that Allah has created. So now, there is an appeal in the world. The world is very glamorous. There's a glitter there, which is what the surah is about, the sukhruf, the ornaments of decoration. So certain ideas and ideals and certain theories appeal to the mind. And they have a lot of glitter. And then if you are a young mind and you're impressionable, you will be impressed by those ideas and those theories and then you'll stoop towards them and then you'll plunge yourselves into them and then that is the end. Yeah. So you have to be careful. That's how the devil beguiles people. 
that is known as Tazeen al-Shaytan, Zayyan al-Ahum al-Shaytan, as we will see in the next few ayat. Um, that the devil comes and uh, pict- paints a picture of greatness in an idea, in a theory, and in an attitude, and they will say to you that, yes, that when you take drugs, you'll have a high, and that's very appealing. Or if you have a theory that you are now into hedonism and you don't need a religion to guide you, that's very appealing uh, to a mind that is very lazy, uh, appeals to the nafs that doesn't want to be restricted and so on. So, so the appeal in falsehood is by design. Mm. There's a purpose to the appeal in falsehood. That's where the test is. If there is no appeal in the dunya, there will be no test. But the fact that the dunya is muzayyan, decorated, uh, either by Allah or the devil, is now the truth about the testing of human beings. So human beings need to understand uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing everybody, and because of that test, they will be now uh, given the, what do you call it, result, whether they have failed or they have passed the test. And so on. So the idea is that this is an open book. The revelation is very open, very clear. Those who don't believe in the revelation, they are unclear and they are confused. And because of that confusion, they do things uh, which end up in jeopardizing their salvation. So we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us and guide us and give us the tawfiq to recite the Quran, and give us the tawfiq to understand the Quran, and give us the tawfiq to apply the Quran as we should. آمين يا رب العالمين وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه محمد وعلي وصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا رب الحمد لله